Gracious Father, we thank you for your holiness and your grace and your justice and your mercy, and you have demonstrated those things on us through the person of Jesus, and you have just been with us and blessed us in ways we can't comprehend in this life. But Lord, you have been faithful to do such things, even though we are sinful and make horrible mistakes that defame and belittle your glory to our brokenness, Lord. We, so we are sorry, and yet we receive your amazing grace because of Jesus. I pray for every soul gathered in this room that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear your scriptures. I pray that the exhortations and the encouragements and the challenges would be heard because your spirit would move powerfully in us and among us to know you and to know what you have done for us and for your glory. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we are taking a break from a series that we have been doing called The Disciple Maker, and that has been in the Gospel of Matthew. We are shifting for a three-week series, a mini-series, on our mission, or you could say uh, this will be a vision series. I know people make distinctions between vision and mission, but there will be plenty of vision here and there as we talk about these things. But this is really our, our mission statement. We'll be talking about knowing, growing, and going. We, at Branches, we say know, grow, and go. Now, if you've been with us for us for some time, we used to say that a little bit differently, um, but we, have, we, we thought as we met together as elders um, w- that we should probably just adjust this a little bit so the language would be as crystal clear as possible and for the city in which we are in, and we think this is actually more helpful language. So we are all about knowing, growing, and going on mission. So our mission is about knowing God, growing in Christ, and going on mission together. Today, however, we will be focusing primarily on the whole idea of knowing God and what it means to know Him. And we know that we know Him because He first knew us. The way we know God is because He had pierced time and He he pierced, He came into the world, He sent His Son to take on flesh, and it is not us who loved Him, but He who loved us because we are sinful. And we have this inability to come from him, to come to him because of our love. It is, not bec- it is because of our love for our sin. We love our sin. We delight in it. We want to be like a pig in the mire just rolling around in it. We love it. And we desperately need the God of heaven to come to break through and to do something radical in our hearts. And so this morning is about knowing, knowing God, and the question, therefore, is this. How do we know God? If we ask the question, why do we exist as a church? The reason we exist is to, to know, grow, and go on mission. But if we ask, well, then, there, well, if, if, the, if we exist to know, grow, and go on mission, then how do we know this God? And the answer is this, we only know God through Christ Jesus and the power of his gospel. That is how we know God. 
We don't know him by our, the strength of our will. We don't know him because we have great ideas about who God is. We don't know him because we had a really cool dream and therefore I want to know him. We know him because of this powerful gospel that pierces our wicked hearts and we get transformed by the living God of the universe and then we are able to receive him and know him. So what, if you learn, learn anything, if you believe anything, if I'm able to persuade you of anything today, you need to know this and be persuaded of this, that you knowing God is a grace of God and not your work or the strength of your hands or the strength of your mind or whatever it is. Or the privilege in which you have been born into because your life was easy. So today we're talking about knowing God. God. Now, if we were talking about our values, if this was a sermon about our values, it would be important to understand those in light of how they impact our vision or our mission at Branches. Because values push into these ideas of our mission as a church. And so I'm just going to say them. I'm going to say them. And we provide them on a document in the back every single week. Our values are very simple, and no church, no gospel church should deny any of these basic truths. Our values is this, the worship of God, the community of God, and the mission of God. You see, it's all about the worship of God. Until you know him, you can't worship him as you ought to. You'd have to know him, and therefore the worship of God pushes into or drives knowing him, because if we know him, then we're able to worship him, and if we know him, it's because God has loved us first and not the other way around. The second value is the community of God. Because we know him and we're inclined to worship him appropriately and rightly because our hearts have been transformed, therefore we need to be in the community of God. This is a way that God has instituted for the people of God to be in Christian community so that they would have love for God, grow in their love for, for, for God, but also grow in their love for one another. God does amazing things in Christian community. And many Christians in our country and throughout the world and actually throughout history neglect the worship of God and therefore neglect the community of God to their peril. This has happened on occasions in my life as a pastor. I get a frantic phone call. Pastor! Pastor! And you just can't hear. They're gasping for breath. They're gasping. And I don't know what is going on. And they're gasping. And they're crying. And they're like, hardened thug. They'd like, man, tough. And they're weeping. I need my pastor. I'm like, dude, you haven't been around for like two years. In this person's mind, you're my pastor. And I'm saying, I don't think I'm your pastor. Now, I didn't say that. I don't say that to people when they come to me broken and weeping and have neglected the worship of God and community of God. I put my arms around them. But so many people neglect the worship of God to their peril, and they end up calling a pastor, Pastor, please, please, I'm in such trouble. X is going on in my life right now, and I don't know what to do. You, you mean X is going on in your life right now because you have neglected the worship of God and the community of God, and you are struggling as to why that is going on in your life? You see, one of the primary values of local church is not only the worship of God, but it needs to be the community of God's people together, gathered, because God does amazing things in that. It points us to him, and it shows us this is how we love one another, and this is how we say amen to each other. 
that was true. How can we say amen if we are just in isolation, neglecting the worship, the gathering of God's saints together? The third value is this, is the mission of God. Not only is God to be worshipped and Him alone, there was no other God to be worshipped but Him. Not only has He called His people to live in radical community together, um, praying together, uh, living among each other, worshipping God together, taking communion together, forgiving each other, but together as a radical band of God's people are to live on mission together. Because God has told us to do so. Before he left, his final words were the great commission, the great commission to go and therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To teach them all that I command, and lo, I am with you till the end. The worship of God, the community of God, and the mission of God, he has given this to his people And these things, these values, they drive our vision and our mission. And so therefore, today we are talking, addressing this issue of why do we exist? And particularly we'll be talking about knowing God. And how do you know him? Well, we we can only know God through Christ Jesus and the power of the gospel. Let me say again, if there is anything you take away today, know that amazing truth. Now, in the midst of that introduction and telling you what our, where we're going to go and about what we're going to talk about and just the very simple idea that I want you to buy into and be persuaded of. And for some of you, by the way, you will come hearing some of the things I will say and it will be very difficult, possibly painful, possibly you may struggle with it. But you will hear where we are coming from when it comes to these ideas of knowing who God is. Would you stand as we read the Word of God together? Would you also turn to Romans chapter 1? If you have a Bible or an electronic device, you could turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. There's a great tradition throughout church history that when the people of God hear the Word of God being read in the church, and we don't do this all the time, but there are church traditions that are so helpful to our souls, so tangible, and, and, and help our hearts as we meet together as the people of God and, and hear the Word of God. Historically, they have said, thanks be to God. And so after I read the scriptures for us this morning, uh, when I finish, you can say, thanks be to God. And if you forget, that's okay. It's not required. But I will be reading chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, uh, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow 
you know, that somehow by God's will I may now at last uh, succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among of the rest of the Gentiles. Now, I will interpret this in terms of not spiritual gifting, but in terms of finances. Okay? I think this is a fair uh, interpretation of understanding this fruit that Paul is speaking about. And we know that Paul, when he has done this to the churches, he's taken and he's blessed other churches with those finances. So he's coming there, and he wants to certainly reap that harvest. I am under obligation, in verse 14, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And this will be the focus of our sermon in the next verses. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And you say, amen. Amen. Please be seated. So this morning we are going to look particularly at Romans, but also we will go to and fro. So you don't have to turn there necessarily, but you could just listen to the reading of God's word as we go through. I'll primarily just be addressing this very simply to deal with the issue of how we know God. The way that we know God, the way that we can know God is only through Jesus Christ and the power of his gospel. So it must be the right Jesus and it must be the right gospel. Now here's the thing, with the word of God and the good news of the gospel that is pro- proclaimed through the scriptures, which I will testify about this, this morning, we have any, there's an incredible need for the gospel. There is a reason for the gospel. You see, because the way history started was us knowing God in relationship with God. We are, most of us here are very familiar with the fact that we had relationship with God, walking in the garden with God, in relationship with him. But sin enters the world and disrupts this beautiful and harmonious relationship of God. And sin enters the world and it ruins relationship. It wrecks relationship with a holy, holy God. And you cannot have relationship or or love of God unless he does something to restore that with the good news of the gospel. So simply, what is the gospel. And I'll say this in an oversimplified manner, but the gospel is this. The gospel is, that word means, it literally means good news. It's good news. It's good news in light of the fact that there's incredibly horrific news. That if we have sinned against a holy God, he is just and has to deal with that, then we would be utterly separated from him because of that sin and therefore deserve the wrath of God for all eternity because of that sin. Not only because of our individual sins, but because of the sin that is passed on through Adam, the first man, to us. So even though 
we have our own sins that we do. We also inherit our sin nature. People, theologians talk about sinning by nature and by choice. Those two things are going on. That you and I make willful decisions to sin against God. And they need to be dealt with. And also, we inherited sin from the first man, that is Adam. Because, so we, are by nature, are born into sin. That means our beautiful, lovely children are sinners. We are not born innocent. Contrary to what Mormons say and anyone else, we are not born good. We are born depraved and sinful. And that is incredibly terrifying and bad news, that we deserve God's wrath for eternity. Don't even want to imagine that in any way, and quite frankly, we could not. But here is the good news. The good news is that God has taken care of this through the person of Jesus because of our sin. And he has done it. He has poured his wrath out on Jesus on the cross. So therefore, the gospel is good news that even though we are sinful and deserve hell, Jesus was the right and only atoning sacrifice that satisfies, important word, satisfies the wrath of God on our behalf. Jesus satisfies. He is the only one worthy to atone for us, fully God, fully man, pure and holy. Jesus enters the world, fulfills the law. Do you know what it means to fulfill the law? That means he, he lived it perfectly. He is the one who fulfilled it. And because he fulfills that law, and he is the only one worthy to be sacrificed and bear the wrath of God for his elect, for his sheep, for his people, then it's good news for us. By dying on the cross and then raising from the dead. So the gospel is about Jesus who died on the cross not only dying, but in the third day, he rose from the grave in power. This is the gospel. So why do we exist as a church? We exist to know, grow, and go. Of course, we're focusing on this whole issue of knowing God, and we, the way we know God is through Christ Jesus and the power of his gospel. We need to know that fundamentally. It needs to seep out of us everywhere. Because part of knowing who God is is to know the good news that he has lavished on us as his people. Paul is writing to a people that he desperately wants to see and be among and, and, and just exchange these, these, the spiritual gift among each other and, and also take some, some fruit and spread it out to others. And he has been hindered. He loves them. But I love what he says about these people. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I want to just say this. How cool would it be for the reputation of our church to be proclaimed all over the world as, man, your guys' faith and your love for Jesus is known all throughout the world. And I don't know how God would do that, but I think that would be a great thing. It is a wonderful mark for a church. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I love that. And I long for that, and I hope and pray for that for our church. I don't want us to be a broken church with sickness, although sickness does come in. My hope and my prayer for our church is that it would be a unified church, unified in, in faith, growing in the knowledge of God, repenting of sin, turning to him, loving him more, loving God, loving our neighbor, seeing people get saved, sharing the gospel, even when people don't believe, on and on. So many things. Living in radical community together, going on mission together. 
So the first thing we need to know in terms of what it means to know God and know his gospel is, number one, is this. There is no shame in knowing the gospel, but instead a boldness with knowing this gospel. Look at Romans 1.16. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Do you hear that? What Paul does when he comes to this particular point is he presents the theme of the entire book of Romans succinctly. The whole theme and the purpose of Romans is the gospel. And then what he's going to do throughout the book of Romans is he's going to unpack that. He will talk about our sin and our total depravity. He will wrestle with the fact that he has kinsmen, fellow Jews, that deny the gospel and therefore will have the wrath of God poured on them. And he wrestles with that. We, t- he, we see him talk about his predestining work on us to know him. And then we see what, at the very end of the book what it means to walk in li- with Jesus in light of the faith that we have with him and worship. And here, one of the first things that we see in terms of knowing God is this, that by knowing him, there ought to not to be any shame, but instead a boldness of the gospel. Now, I want to go from here and actually interpret this in light of looking at the rest of Scripture. I think the words are very simple, but we see some themes throughout the rest of Scripture that are very helpful. You can turn to Genesis chapter, chapter you can just listen, or you can turn to, we'll hold off. I'll start with Acts. With Paul, we see a man who, is radically, who radically understands the, the shame and the boldness dynamic. You see, when he's on the road to Damascus, he gets radically saved, and we see a guy who is transformed, transformed by the gospel, and, and instead of being ashamed, is emboldened. In Acts chapter 9, 26, it says this, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, this is right after his conversion, and they were all afraid of him. Now, you need to understand this. You need to understand why they were afraid of Paul. Paul, before he gets saved, he was a Pharisee, and he was a, he was a terror for the church. He was strongly against it. He opposed the church. He, was gather, he wanted to gather them and wound them and kill them and bring harm to the church. He was ravishing the church. And it says this. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Which would be pretty terrifying. One week you're killing people, the next week you're with us. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church there throughout all of Judah and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Paul, when he got saved by the gospel, he was not ashamed of it, but immediately went boldly proclaiming it having discourse with people that radically opposed him to the point where they were seeking to kill him early on in his conversion. We know this. But why does he contrast with this shame piece? 
If you turn to Genesis chapter 3, we see shame come into humanity from the very beginning after the fall of man. How does shame enter into the world like this? What happens? What does shame look like and how does it enter? When the man and woman sinned against God, shame enters. And we will see two aspects of that shame enter. In chapter chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Notice one of the first ways that their shame displayed itself. One is that they tried to cover themselves because they knew that they were naked. When before, they had no shame in that. The second way was that they were going to hide, attempt to hide from God. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Do you see this? When we are ashamed of something, we cover up And secondly, we hide from God. So what we do fundamentally is we hide that thing. Now, in light of that, I want to just like just step back for a moment and look at the entrance of good news. That even though they are hiding from God, notice what God does to them. Then it says this. So they were hiding from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But in verse 9 it says this. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Today, if you have come here with the burden of shame because of something horrific that you have done this last week or these past few months or this past year, and you haven't even shared that with anyone else, I want you to know that we know that the Scriptures show us a particular pattern that happens. We want to hide first from each other. The man and the woman tried to hide from each other by covering themselves up. And the second way is to hide ourselves from God. But check this out. This is good news. God pursues you even when you're hiding from him. Hiding from him is not a good thing. It's a terrible thing. That shame is terrible. But God, Jesus, pursues you and calls to you. And you hearing the preaching of the word of God know this, that God is calling to you in light of the sin that you have done, probably, most likely, that you are ashamed of. And he brings good news and says, where are you? I am here for you. I love you. I want to restore you. And so my, my, what I would do, I, what I, my exhortation to you is to recognize the good news of God, recognize your sin, but recognize the pursuit of, the, of God who is calling to you, saying, where are you? And so if you have come here and you're broken and you've messed up in some way and you have not confessed it to someone else because you feel shame hiding it from others and hiding it from God, I want you to know there's a God who understands your shame. Did you know that when they, you know, we don't always talk about this, but I loved Alan Holberg when he preached here last week. He said it. In, in Christian art throughout history, they don't really show this unless I'm missing one. They don't portray Jesus being naked. But he was naked because they wanted to shame him. Jesus understands your shame. When they put him on the cross, it was to shame him. So, so check it out. Like, there's this shame and this guilt. But here's the thing. But Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, is he? And what we learn by seeing this amazing proclamation of his lack of shame, but instead a boldness 
for the Word of God, we see something that should happen in our own hearts. And so I would ask you this. Are you ashamed of the good news of the gospel? And if you are, I would question whether or not you know Jesus. You need to hear someone say that. Because we are not to be ashamed of the gospel. If anything, we should be emboldened by the gospel because we have been transformed and saved by the God of the universe who pursued us even though we did not want to pursue him. God, in, his, in, the, in the good news of his, of his gospel and his pursuit of us, has, has changed us. And I ask you, are you ashamed? So what does it look like instead of being ashamed but to be emboldened by the good news of the gospel? It can be as simple as, by the way, I know that not everyone here is a gifted evangelist. You might say, I have no evangelist gift, and that's okay. But every single Christian can and should affirm their Christianity when asked. And it's the most basic form. If someone asks you, do you know Jesus? Are you a Christian? Don't be a Peter who hides. He certainly repented. But maybe that's been you. Have you been in places and situations where you just didn't want someone to know that you were a Christian? And if you were, I don't want to like push shame on you because I know there's situations that come up for us in the workplace or among friends and they try to get you to participate with something and so, and that would be wicked or simple. They want to send you some image or whatever it is and have you participate in their sin. Dude, 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 no thank you because I know Jesus. And they say, they say, why not? Well, because I know Jesus, this would be sin. Or are you afraid to admit your Christianity in those settings? And I would say this, that if you are, I understand, but maybe you don't know him yet. Or maybe you're not in community enough to be encouraged to hear the proclaiming of the word of God so that you are being saved as you're living out your Christian faith. Like the people that call me two years from not being in Christian community and be like, oh my gosh, I need a pastor so bad, what do I do? I'm like, dude, I'm not your pastor. You haven't been among us. Who is your pastor? Yourself? You need to be among the people of God. So are you afraid? At the most basic level, you can affirm that, yes, I am a Christian. Now, look, you need to understand that being bold with the good news of the gospel does not mean that you have to lose your job this week because you want to be bold with the good news of the gospel. Your job, if you are a teacher, like you have certain rules you have to follow, like you, you could follow those rules and you could do it in a good conscience. You, gotta, you just got to navigate and figure out answers to how I, I share the good news of gospel, the gospel with other people. Can there come a day when you possibly lose your job because of your Christianity, because of your faith in Jesus? Yes, but you don't have to be foolish about it. You don't have to be a jerk about it. You, there are ways to share the good news of the gospel with those that we live among and work among in a wise, in a wise and helpful way without being weird. Paul was not ashamed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So one of the first pieces of what it means to know God is to not be ashamed of the gospel, but instead to be bold about the good news of the gospel. Jesus gives a warning to those that do not, um, that, that are ashamed of him. Jesus says this in Luke 12, 8 through 12. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks the word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. 
We can withhold that discussion about blasphemy but against the Holy Spirit, but understand this. We can talk about that another time, and I have in other sermons in the past. But understand this, that if you cannot acknowledge Jesus before men, Jesus will not acknowledge you before God. And so I would question whether or not you know him if you are unwilling and you are ashamed of him instead of being emboldened about him. In a way that's not being a jerk and not being weird, but you can simply say, I'm a Christian, I know Jesus, I love Jesus. And so I ask you to consider this today. Do you know Jesus enough to where you can acknowledge that you are a Christian or the people around you have no clue that you are a Christian and it's been years and they still just don't know because your life looks so radically di- like theirs, perhaps. Number two, the way we know God is certainly through the power of his gospel. It is God coming to us first and transforming us and saving us, and it's certainly being emboldened instead of being ashamed. It is number two, and we need to know this, that the gospel is God's power of saving. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul says this very concisely as he's like pushing out the gospel in this, in this theme that he's laying out for the entire book of Romans. Not only is he not ashamed of the gospel, but secondly, that he knows that it is God's means. It is God's powerful means of saving the good news proclaimed of the gospel. So check this out. Paul knows firsthand of the power of that gospel because he experienced it himself. On the road to Damascus, in order to harm other Christians, he became face-to-face with Jesus and his powerful gospel. In chapter 9, verses 1, in the book of Acts, it says this, But Saul, meaning in Paul, that was his name before he was renamed, But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, notice, men or women, everyone, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? That's been terrified, right? Because he came face to face with the power of God and the power of his gospel. And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, seeing no one. Paul was rocked by the power of the gospel. The gospel is God's powerful means of salvation. The good news of proclaiming that gospel with words. We use words to proclaim the gospel. And you can too, as a Christian. Jesus died for sinners and he rose on the third day. Do you believe this? Receive it. Or not. An eternal fire. You don't have to be like all weird, but it's true. Do you want this Jesus or do you not? So Paul 
completely understands that the gospel is God's powerful means of salvation. That's the second thing we understand. This is what it means to know him. That not only are we not to be ashamed of what we are to be emboldened, but secondly, that we need to recognize and understand and affirm that it is his powerful means of salvation so that it impacts us on every way. We were not saved by the power of our will. We were not saved by the power of our intellect. We were not saved because of our amazing ability to raise really sharp kids that go to college. Do you know that? Look, we live in a city where the mantra is like, it's like education, right? This city, like the city, and that's good. I think it's a great thing. I think it's a, a, an issue of God's common grace for people and for Christians and pagans to love, to, to, to learn. I think it should be pointed at knowing God. But we are not saved because we have a really peaceful household and raise really good kids who go to college and get good jobs and make good money and are nice, decent people, that's, a, that's, a, that's an act of God's common grace and blessing on all of humanity, if that happens. Look, you know, it's so interesting, it's fascinating to me. Like, when, you, when you're looking at the Bible, you can see God's common grace all over the place. Like in Ephesians chapter 6, you know, God tells, God, God tells his people, hey, look, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And there's two things related to that, that piece of information that, that Paul is telling children, that they need to obey their, chil- their parents in the Lord, for this is right, so that it will go well with you, number one, and secondly, so that you will live. Now, people die for all kinds of reasons, but we know that those who listen to their parents, they actually have a better life than those that do not listen to their parents. Did you know that? And if you can die if you're not obedient to your parents, the Bible says that. Not my words. The Bible makes that clear. Paul is making an application to New Testament people that children are to obey their parents and the Lord for his right so that it will go well with you, have a good life. So therefore, look, people that don't know Jesus, if they actually honor their parents, they actually live peacefully among them and listen, they actually live better lives. They might live because of God's common grace. So what I'm saying is, look, the power of God it is the gospel is God's power of salvation. And just because we, we live a peaceful life, which we ought to in obedience to God, but just because we raise a good kids and they go to college and they get good jobs doesn't mean that now God wants to save us because we've done a good job. God saves sinners. He saves us when we are extending a finger that we not ought to extend at God. He saves us when we're sinners in the mire, not because of the power of our will, not because of the might of our minds, not because of our ability to do good things in this world, but he saves us because of our amazing need for his glory. The fact that you've been saved by the gospel is because of his electing grace on you. The gospel is powerful, but the fact that you believe is because he has sovereignly and lovingly chose you before the foundations of the world. And this amazing reality is related to the good news of the gospel and how he powerfully saves. He powerfully saves because he elects you, he predestined you before the foundations of the world. That's why you're saved, not because of the strength of your will, not because of the might of our minds, not because we're good, decent people, not because we were born in America, but because he chose you, not because he saw what you would do, by the way, that's false. Look, you got to know, like, you're hearing this, and you might come to this church, and you might be, you know, like, categorically, um, uh, like, Arminian. If some of you don't know what that is, like, we understand. Look, we welcome you. 
man, you, if you're a Christian, we welcome you. But you just got to know, like, where we're coming from, we're saying, hey, look, the Bible points out very, very clearly that God actually elects us. He predestines us before the foundations of the world, even when we can't completely wrap our minds around it. And we also need to be radical evangelists, hopeful, praying, pleading with God to save people simultaneously. This is the word of God. Listen to what it says, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as, here we go, ready? Here comes the bomb. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. So the fact that we know God should elicit a certain response, like no shame but boldness, and also a recognition of the power of his salvation because he chose me, not that I chose him, but he chose me even when I was a sinner before the foundations of the world, he decided in the mind of God for, his, for the praise of his glory. Or else, you know what we would do? We would boast in what we have done. We would, I don't know about you, maybe that's not you, but I would boast all day long. Look at what I've done. I'm so smart, I chose God. I did what was right. I'm so strong. I was able to reach up to God. Not him to me, but me to him. And this has an amazing effect on us. It is a, has a humbling effect, an effect where we, we actually see, we yield to God and say, God, you are gracious. Not only gracious, but you are sovereign. You are in control of the entire universe. Jesus says in John 6.44, we love to quote it, right? John 6.44 says this, No one can come to me, Jesus says, in the midst of a dispute with the Pharisees of his day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Amazing words in John 6.44 from Jesus when he's having this dispute with them. Here's the thing. You don't know me, is what he says to them, because you have not been drawn by the Father. They're rejecting him, and Jesus is saying, you want to know why? Because you have not been drawn by the Father. No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. The fact that you call yourself Christian, you're sitting here and you're calling yourself a Christian, is not because you came to God, but God drew you. God came and said, where are you? And God saved you. Paul recognizing with his proclamation of the gospel here to the Roman church, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Number three, the gospel is for all kinds of people. Listen to what Paul says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. When Paul says this, he's just categorizing all kinds of peoples. In a world where there's all kinds, there's, there's racial tensions, there's cultural tensions, there's people getting saved from, from a Jewish context and also from a Gentile context. They're having all kinds of issues. And the, and the Jewish people 
really struggled because they felt like, hey, we, we have been, been saved and called by God. And then he points out, look, Paul is lamenting the fact that many of his Jewish brothers and sisters, his kinsmen are rejecting Jesus, and he wrestles with it. And I'm going I'm to read it to you. I'm going to read that, that text to you soon. But you need to know this, that this good news, that this gospel is for all kinds of people. It is for all kinds of people. Um, and I want to tell you a little bit about one of the ways that we're going to do that as a church. One of the things that we do is that we, well, well, we have two networks that we're part of. We're part of Acts 29, and we're also part of the PCN, the Pacific Church Network. Um, both are very ethnically diverse. PCN is our local network. We're Southern California group of, of churches together. Very ethnically diverse, very. And we also have different languages in both networks. Now, one of the things that we're able to help um, the PCN with is, uh, is a seminary that the, that the network has called uh, Seminary to the Americas. It's for Spanish language. So here's the thing that you may not know, but for English speakers, there is seminary and Bible training everywhere. I mean, there's free stuff. There's high-level stuff that you could pay a little bit. You know, there's Biola, there's Fuller, there's Masters. There's like, you know, there's online ways. But that is not the case in Spanish. It's not the case. It's very, very small. But the PCN actually has a seminary. They have a seminary for, for Spanish speakers. And there's a lot of, a lot of um, people in training for leadership and, and pastoral work that, that need that kind of training. And we have a facility, and we partner with our network, and they just need a space to turn on lights for like six or eight people learning to be a pastor. And we said, dude, we're a network. We're brothers. We will help. We will help you. And they are, you got to know, I, you, I want you to know this, they are so stoked about that. They are so stoked that we're able to have a space because they've got this popping up in different parts of Southern California because the need is great, and there is very little opportunity for Spanish speakers. And, and I'm sure there's other languages and all that, but what we're able to help with is we don't have to, like, run it. We don't have to oversee it. We just have to say, here's the key. Come from here to here. You have six people. Turn off the lights, blah, blah, blah. And what it does is it partners. It's a way to partner with, with our association and, and, and further the gospel by just giving someone a key and helping them out in this way. For, for brothers that are primarily preaching in Spanish and they're in a part of our network and they're reaching people that, know, that don't know English. And I love that because the gospel is for all kinds of people. But here's the thing. So that's part of like the vision going on in us and a way we can participate with our networks because we want to we plant churches that plant churches. That's what we want to do as a church. And some of you might rise up in that occasion and we're gonna, we want to equip and train you to live godly Christian lives who know God and aren't ashamed of him or proclaiming the gospel where you live, where you work, where you play, and you're, you know that it's for all kinds of people. I want us to wrestle with this. Where do you struggle with people that are different than you? Where is there a hint of racism or sin of some sort? I'm not saying that's the case all the time. I'm just saying, where, where is that going on in your heart and in your life? It may not even be on your radar, but I want to show us something that James says that, po that will lift out some of these issues. James tells us, in the book of James, he tells us that we are not to be partial to any brother or sister that comes into our gathering. He tells us to welcome them. One of the primary ways that people would have a hard time welcoming other brothers or sisters is because of the financial difference where people are coming from. But it would extend, I would argue that it would extend beyond the financial means, but also between ethnicity and philosophical difference and so on and so on and so on. 
whether or not they wear a hat or they're hipster or they have good coffee or don't have all kinds of issues. So in James chapter 2, it says this, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So commanded, show no partiality. Now listen to what it says here. This is fascinating because this happens in the context of the local gathering of God's people. For if a man wearing gold, a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. Do you see those words? Comes into your assembly. And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in, in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts, James says. Partiality turns into evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Now, I understand that's not always the case. But in a particular context, this is what was going on. Just because you're rich, it doesn't mean you're in sin. Like, just receive it as God's blessing and use it for his kingdom. The ones who drag you, aren't they the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing as well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of, of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, has also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But did you see in the earlier part of the passage... These people come into your assembly. One of the very first places that this takes place, one of the ways that the world can see a people that is united by different ethnicities and philosophical differences and on and on and on is by the people of God being united in faith together, looking different, dare I say smelling different. Some good-looking, some not-so-good-looking, like myself. Some heavier, some lighter, some smarter, some not-so-smart. Some who fumble over words, some who cannot spell a lick. If you guys get my emails, you will know that I cannot spell a word to save my life. If I was in a contest to save my life, I would, I would be dead because I cannot spell. I cannot spell. Paul says this, that this good news, that this gospel is for all kinds of people. It primarily first came to the Jew, and God moved through that, and then it moved also to the entire people, the household of God, that God was electing by his sovereign grace, by choosing them before the foundations of the world, therefore show no partiality to any person, no matter where they're coming from. Of course, we want them to get saved and want them to turn away from sin, but we want, we, we want the, our church to look like the area in which we live. May it be a people that is radically ethnically diverse. Did you know that our area, one mile radius of this particular, where our church building is, it is one-third Korean, one-third white, one-third Mexican. Let's call it Mexican. It's, it's, all, it's kind of a mix. It's really unique 
among many areas. By God's grace, may we look like the community that we live. We can't force that, but we can be a people that are not partial in any way, but loving and gracious, holding the truth and understanding the power of the gospel and loving people because we know a God that has loved us even when we were far away from him. Number four, you have been made righteous by God. This is final and last, and then I'm just going to close this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That is a way, that is a way of saying it is all about faith from beginning to end. That's what, that, that's what that means. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. At the heart of what is going on here, what Paul is saying is that you have an alien righteousness that was not your own. It is your own because you have, you have Christ, but it was alien. It comes from outside of you. You were wicked and sinful, and you, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, that he is supplied by his grace because of his choosing before the foundations of the world. You have an alien righteousness. Even though you and I were wicked and sinful, Jesus, the perfect one who died on the cross, made us right, puts us in right legal standing before God with what he has done on the cross. And therefore, we are declared righteous. From beginning to end, an alien righteous. He imputes that to us when we do not deserve it. He takes on our sin. It's nailed to the cross. We deserve that cross and God's wrath, and we don't get that wrath. Instead, we get his righteousness. So when God the Father sees us, he sees Jesus righteous and clean. And so I'll go back to the point I made earlier, that if you have come here messing up in some radically terrible, horrific way that you have not even confessed to someone else, I want you to know that there is a cross that there is a Jesus who saves you by the power of his gospel. It's for all kinds of people, even including ourselves. And he, he imputes us with this, this righteousness that is alien to us, but it's his righteousness, and therefore we are in right standing with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy work of the cross. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.